down your unders. Down your unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under. Hello everybody and welcome to this extra spicy edition of the Art of War Down Under podcast. It is episode 114. My name is Adam Camilleri, as it always is. I don't know, one day maybe I'll pretend I've changed my name just to just to spice up the intro a little bit for you guys. But this is the State of the Super Faction episode for Chaos. We like to push these out every three to six months just to kind of check in with how the Super Faction is doing. I am well aware this is coming on the heels of uh, a balanced artist like that could mix up a lot of things. But from... What I've talked, what I've heard from a lot of experts and whatnot, I'm not quite sure a lot of things is going to be changing with Chaos. Certainly, the vast majority of the factions, that being, you know, T-Suns, um, especially uh, Demons, you know, with such a first codex, probably untouched. A lot of CSM maybe going untouched. Watch, we'll put a watch on Creations of Bile, a caveat there. Who knows what may happen in that realm. But we will talk about all that, and I'm joined by two very special gentlemen. The first of which is... Uh, a, a bit of a chaos legend in Australia. He runs blog for the Blood God. He's started to really ramp up the content creation side of his channel, and he's here to tell you all about it. Mr. Dean Sinbeck, welcome to the show again, mate. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. And to follow that up, we have uh, Team Poland WTC coach, currently, uh, I think he's uh, from the UK, currently residing in Warsaw, Mr. Danny Porter. How you doing, brother? Hey, not bad. Thank you for having me on. I'm very excited to talk with some Aussies for a change. Uh, a lot more exciting, mate. Everything, everything's more exciting when there's an Aussie involved. I think that's that's I, world I do over. Love your energies. That's right. <laughs> After the WTC, Australia is my favorite. Fantastic. Let's hope we can keep that going for a couple of years at least. Uh, but this is a two-part podcast, guys. As you all know, this part comes out for you. For you. You know, you're listening at some time after 5 a.m. is a standard time on Tuesday. Uh, the other part, part two, which for with, with me and this gentleman, we'll literally be sitting down. We're going to write lists and talk archetypes for every single chaos sub-faction. We're going to go through them from top to bottom, talk about uh, what their lists should look like in the meta at the moment to contend with the big dogs, you know, Asterix with uh, Data Slate just around the corner. I had hoped to have these episodes the other way around, but this Data Slate just doesn't want to drop. So I needed to, you know, bring forward the one that I was hoping to do afterwards, unfortunately. But I don't, I don't think a huge amount's going to change, and it'll be to my absolute chagrin should this be compli- completely invalidated. But I'll just hand pass that to the the Chaos Boys. Do you guys think that the data slate's going to drop and you know change a huge amount of the Chaos Super Faction up? I'll start with you, Dean. Uh, I don't think it's going to change much. I think you might be onto something with the creations of Bile getting hit. Which, to be honest, I think would be kind of unnecessary because it's not like they're dominating the tournament scene at the moment. They're just sort of keeping up with the big dogs. So I'd be disappointed if that happens, but I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. Um, And then, yeah, most of the other legions will be pretty much untouched. And I think there's a lot of competitive viability in those other legions. So I think Chaos Space Marines will be fine. Uh, The Thousand Suns, Death Guard, those sorts of guys, the Knights, I don't think there's going to be much touching there. Maybe Abaddon will cop a hit, and if he does, that'll be a bit of a kick in the you know in the balls for the <laughs> Chaos Space Ring players. But um, yeah, by and large, I'm not I'm not predicting much will realistically change. Fair enough. What about yourself, Danny? What do you think might be coming down the pipe for Chaos, if anything? Um, I definitely think they're going to take a look at creations of Bile. Um, it's very obvious that Games Workshop keep wanting to nerf this kind of um, interaction, like they did with Harley's. In terms of things like Thousand Suns and Death Guard, I do think that they need some help, so it's possible, but 
in this data slate, I don't think they'll touch them. I think they'll make some changes to Space Marines and whatever they do there might in the next data slate, you know, um, overflow into Thousand Suns and Death Guard, et cetera. But outside of Creations of Bio, I don't see any changes from a data slate perspective. The only things I could see happening for Chaos is that, yeah, like you said, Space Marines holistically, maybe an Armor of Contempt change, a holistic change to the Astartes keyword, you know, it could be that heretic or... Um, or regular Adeptus Astartes that would have a flow-on effect because I'd be very happy to see based Chaos Space Marines, you know, non-possessed, non-terminators, just just like Legionaries, Raptors, you know, guys of that ilk chosen, possibly getting a little bit of a lift alongside things like Vanguard, Vets, Sternguard, Devastators, all those really languishing Space Marine units. I'd be ha- very happy to see that if that would be a thing. I think that would actually be really good because right now what we're seeing is obviously anything that's not basic Marines are sort of carrying these codexes and mm. they need the uh the basic marines just need a bit of a buff i think just to make things a lot more interesting and and cool to see to be honest exactly right because yeah i think th- it's a dark reflection of each other the csm and the space Marine book in that the elite slot is the only slot that you really care about putting units into everything else is like oh cool i'll do what i gotta do to fill up the troops etc etc but the elite slot is where like 80 percent of your points goes just about every single army list or at least it feels that way for me but um, i wouldn't be surprised if we copped a uh, like a free upgrades style you know errata for the legionnaires or the there's basic csm yeah that would be actually pretty cool like raptors getting it alongside assault marines that would be nice because but the issue is like that wasn't a. It was a decent lift for assault marines, but it hasn't really changed where space marines sit overall. So it would be an interesting thing to see if they they float stuff like that on. But uh, bygones be bygones, and we'll, we'll see what happens by you know maybe the end of the weekend or next week. But if you want to get the part two, where we're going to be talking about list construction, talking about putting some of these things together, I know uh, my good man Mr. Dean Simbeck is a bit of a champion of some of the more obscure chaos space marine builds. I would not be surprised if we start talking about things like. Night Lords, Alpha Legion, some of those more obscure archetypes that don't just revolve around Abaddon and 10 Terminators because, you know, just just take Abaddon and 10 Terminators and paint it whichever colour you want. It's probably going to be a decent build, but we might go off the beat track a little bit. Um, and of course, Danny Porter is going to be a great help with the Demons, the Renegade Knights, etc, etc, sort of thing, side of things. But you can come and join us over on the Art of War Den under, over on Patreon or the Art of War 40k.com to grab all that goodness. Let's start from the top, boys. We're going to start with Chaos Space Marines, and for those of you who do not know what a uh, state of the super faction episode is on art of war down under we try like i said try and do this every three to six months we look at the the super faction from a top down look at all the sub factions involved what's doing well what's not doing well what what is the success stories and the not give it really kind of a physical kind of a metal, medical examination of the super faction as a whole as if it was a living thing you know which organs are firing which ones are failing um and chaos is on a huge uptick in numbers i do the the thursday show numbers every week i've started really looking in and tracking the super faction numbers and chaos is equal first or second almost every week now where it used to be chaos was pretty much dead absolutely freaking dead for most of ninth edition and the year of that gw promises of chaos has kind of arrived because they have a bunch of viable super factions and a huge amount of bills now we're going to start with danny um give us the your impressions or your feelings of the state of chaos space marines right now um so i think csm is in a really good spot so unlike a lot of other um, armies, I think that one of their best things is their legions, especially depending on where you play in the world, because obviously board terrain and um, scoring system does make a bit of an impact. Their, the, the legions options is really good. Like we've seen Empress Children do really well in the UK. We've seen uh, Christians of Bio do really well in the US and Australia. Over here in Poland, for example, we do really, we've done really well with word bearers. 
So I think one of the best things about CSM is how playable their legions are and how flexible you have with a playstyle. Dude, really, um, really well said. I love that you pointed out how different regions are playing them differently and getting success on different different table states. Dean, what what are your thoughts? I couldn't agree more. With that. It was just said. Like, I think one of the strengths that the chaos have at the moment uh, is that because they have such a wide range of viable options, it's really hard to practice into them. Because if you do all your practice games into creations of bile, and then you come up against an Empress Children list that's just as competitively viable you're not going to know all of their tricks. Whereas like Tyranids, for example, just practice against Leviathan and you know everything they can do. <laughs> you know? That's, a, yeah. lot of, a lot of the top dogs in the meta right now are just one specific combo of one specific sub-faction within a faction. You know, Whereas I think CSM, like I've been on my channel, I've been basically going through each Legion one by one and doing a deep dive masterclass on everything, doing battle reports, taking them to tournaments, reporting back my results... And every single time I pick up a legion, I'm like, wow, this is the best legion. You know, <laughs> like I pick up Creations of Bile and I'm like, you can't beat this. And then I pick up Alpha Legion and I'm like, wow, Alpha Legion has so many amazing tricks. And then I pick up Night Lords and I'm like, wow, Night Lords have so many amazing tricks. Mm. And I'm like, it's just tricks for days. And I think that gives you a huge competitive advantage because your opponent just, there's no way for them to be across all of that. It's a really, so that's, really that's good way of putting my it. my favorite thing with CSM right now. And I, I suppose to extrapolate upon that, like I said, like I joked before, the build doesn't fundamentally change all that much between a lot of these archetypes. Is that something true to say? Like, Danny, you could have literally like a 3,000-point CSM collection and play active archetypes across a multitude of different legions, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, a lot of legions sort of take, whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, a lot of legions do take a lot of tools from the same box. However, the way they shape that tools and they use that tools is different. And I, that's what I really like about CSM. Mm. Um, like you, uh, you mentioned Alpha Legion and you mentioned uh, Night Lords. And they, for example, you might want to use a brick of 10 warp talons, but the way they use the warp talons is a lot different and can have different effects um, and a different strategy around that. And that's what I really like about that. Dude, yeah, another really good point. Uh, where do you guys see csm sitting in the meta right now like the best possible csm fit for meta builds are they are they top tier are they next to next to top tier like they s tier a tier where are you seeing them sitting right now and where's the worst ones where are the the ones that people consider to be on the bottom end well i'd say it's a pretty solid a tier it's hard to argue that it's not a tier mm. when it's you know getting the results that it is getting i think um it, there's certain builds like if you just do the whole terminators with the black rune and abaddon build that everybody seems to be doing uh, competent players will build the right tools into their list to deal with that. And if they play it well, they can quite easily beat you. So I think it's sort of, um, it's almost a gatekeeper, but if you get a good run and you dodge the hard counters, then you can win big events. So I think it's good. I wouldn't want to change anything. I wouldn't want it to get any more powerful, but I also don't think it necessarily needs any nerfing. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Danny, what are your thoughts? Um... Yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, A tier is A tier is where I'd put it, and then of course it goes up and down depending on what legion you would mm. want to go into. Um, I don't think there's any particular legion where I think, oh no, this is absolutely terrible. It needs buffs. Like even you could even build a red corsair uh, build if you wanted with bikes, etc. That can get results. Um, but like Dean said, though, I think a lot of times a lot of the archetypes are very. If you want to win a tournament, you've got to be sometimes lucky with the matchup because there is always that one matchup that 
is sort of around the top of the table that if you come into, it can just really mess up your run. Um, yeah. like I had a run recently and I, I was doing really well. I was beating Tonids, Necrons, etc. And then I came onto an open table against Tau and I got table turn two. That's, yeah, um, exactly so things that. like, yeah. So in, in saying that, a lot of people made a lot about the CSM's lack of ranged support, ranged firepower. I've seen some people putting in uh, MSU noise marines into their Empress children. Uh, I've seen some people trying to put, make uh, shooting archetype iron warriors work. Um, has it been the Achilles heel of the CSM book to not have decent range support? I think it can be a, a bit of a, an Achilles heel in the way that, like if you like you said, if you go on a tower on a you know planet bowling ball where there's no terrain, you're going to really struggle. But I think, by and large, Ninth Edition is a combat edition in the way that the, the way the missions work. They incentivize you to get on the objectives, which means you have to be able to push people off of the objectives, which means there's going to be a lot of combat. And also, if you're playing on WTC-style maps like a lot of people do, they're quite dense. There's lots of cover. So I think, by and large, Ninth Edition is a combat edition. So even though that is the weakness of the faction, I don't think it comes into play as often as you might think. Fair enough. Uh, Danny, what are your thoughts on the same topic? I I think it's more down to expectation. Um, so for me, there are really good shooting options in this book. Like uh, It's a very contentious topic. A lot of people disagree, but I think things like obliterators are really solid. However, A, you've got to build into that, and B, you've got to have the expectation that they're not just going to table your opponent just by, by them alone. However, if you take them as a... If you take the approach that... The shooting is good as a supporting function, then I actually think it's probably one of the best shooting in the game, um, just because of how efficient they can be. Mm. But it's not an army where you can just build purely on shooting and expect to win. Yeah. You, like Dean said, it's a melee army, but you've got you can have really good shooting support. I, I like I like that as well. I mean, I look at the CSM book and I I look for a shooting option that that shoots well by itself without any support, like that just just does the job without needing any help. Because that's one of the great things I've had in my armies recently with the um, the storm speed of thunder strikes. They need no buffs, they need no enhancements. They hit on twos base. They, they just do what they do. I've been looking for that in the CSM book or someone to find something like that. And the, the obliterator is the closest thing, and yet it it has this ceiling that just gets better and better and better the more you're willing to invest invest in supporting it, um, which I think is also pretty good too. So. Transitioning over from CSM, let's start talking about demons a little bit. Relatively new to the meta, I know you've both played a little bit of demons here and there. I know Danny a little bit more than Dean. I know, Dean, you're actually about to play them quite heavily at a upcoming 3,000-point event, which is hilarious. Uh, what is your impression? We'll, we'll start with Danny again, because I know you've had a bit more experience. What are your impressions of demons? How are they sitting in the meta? And what do you think that book has got going for it? So, I think demons... I think Demons is one of the armies that was not obvious when it dropped. And a lot of people probably looked at it and thought, actually, this doesn't sound very good. And then people started to play it and people are now starting to realize the value Demons have. I think it's probably one of the best armies right now for um, board pressure yep. and uh, controlling the board thanks to their Warp Locus and their Deep Strike mechanic, which as a prim primary uh, GSC player... I find really insulting that they have a better deep strike. <laughs> that is fair. I do, I do yeah. like that. Yeah, and they, um, but it, it's really good. And it's absolutely, um, like, versus a lot of armies, it can just be really suffocating, especially turn two onwards. And they've got, because of this, they've got a lot of tricks. So it's not an obvious army, but I think it's really strong. And I think as players start to play it more and learn more about how what, what intricate uh, combos there are, I think it's going to start getting a lot more results. So I'm keen to see how it how that um, works over the next few months. 
and if the data site is going to touch it or not. Yeah, I would be I would be surprised if the data site touches it because they 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 keep they keep trying to beat up at the moment how much they're going to be using data to make their adjustments. I just don't think there's enough data on demons for them to to do much to it. Uh, what are your impressions, Dean? I agree. Um, I think that one of my challenges with the demons book is the internal balance doesn't seem to be as well rounded as the CSM book. I think the CSM book is the gold standard for internal balance, right? Like every legion is good. Every legion is different. Whereas I feel like when you're writing a competitive demons list, there's a few things where it's just like you always take these and they always function the same. Like you always take flamers and the flamers always arrive via warp strike and blast things. That's just what they do in every version of every CSA, uh, of every demons list. I feel like there's a little bit less variability there. That being said, it is still very early days and we're still yet to see. I'm sure there's plenty of depth in that book that people will over time start to to bring to the to the front. But as it stands now, every demons list that I see focuses around a few core elements and would play them very similar. I think that's because I, they don't sort of they don't really have legions. They don't have yeah, that's it's sort of harder to add flavor into a book that doesn't have that sort of stuff. Well, in it's, it. a, it's supposed to do it via the gods, right? The gods are almost supposed to act as four individual supplements tied together, where you know, in a trench coat. So, what were yeah. you going to say, Danny? I was actually going to say I agree. I think um, because it's not legion based and it's it's god based, but it's not they've they've made it so you can blend all the gods together. The book is not as obvious with builds. So people right now, people will gravitate towards more obvious things like let's throw in some greater demons. Let's take three squads of five or six flamers. Um, and because there's no incentive to explore and expand on the other areas of the book, like perhaps uh, mixing Nurgle uh, or Nurgle builds, etc. Until there's a change, people aren't going to explore, I don't think. And, and it's not a bad thing because that is still a really strong build. It's just it's going to get quite stale fast, I would say. I think so as well. When I looked at that book, for my first, I had two instinctual thoughts. And the first one, I think I said on my, my review podcast, I feel like everything in that book is 10 to 20% overcosted. I feel like I, and not because I, I can't point at a unit and say that costs too much. Um, but I, I look at a list and I think there's not enough stuff in it. I look every time I see a, a demons list, a pure demons list, especially, I just think there's like one or two units missing. It should have one more unit of like of blood letters. Should have some some peripheral crap like your your a couple of single spawn as you would have in one of your builds, boys, in the CSM builds. It doesn't have the periphery stuff. It just has. The th a bunch of things that need to do stuff every game in order to bring value. It doesn't have useless things to throw away. And I've seen people try and do it by adding in things like Blue Horrors, but then Blue Horrors have this cap on them that they can't do a bunch of the action stuff and a bunch of the, the, the mission by mission plays you need to do in order to win games. Um, so there, there's, there's that hangover it as well. The other comparison I had, I feel like this is such a very, a very Grey Knight-esque book in which it comes out and upon release... There's like two units that dominate every archetype. Of course, this this case being uh, either it's it's I honestly don't know if Bellicor is that good. I think the Drew is still on Bellicor, but it's usually the Thurster and the Flamers make every single build. As in the Grandmaster Dread Knights and the uh, Interceptors is the comparison between that and the Grey Knight book. As in here's the two sliding scales. How far will you min max this in your build, sir? Do you guys see that as well? I I absolutely agree with that actually. Um... And I think that is predominantly the two units that we see in most builds is a, the eight, uh, eight wounds, the thruster and the uh, flamers. Um, Bellico, the problem with Bellico is I think he's, his data sheet in terms of like absolute output is pretty crap on the basis side. It's, it's either six or seven attacks. He ignores invulnerable, so he can kill big 
big monsters. Um, but he, what he does provide, I think, is some glue uh, to the whole armies, allowing them to take, you know, to, to interchange um, like Nurgle and Korn or, or Slanesh and Zinch or whatever and not affect Warpstorm, which is a good thing. But also his Noctic powers are quite solid as well. And that's what it brings to the table. But it's a very expensive glue to hold it together an army, I'd say. Yeah, it's like you're paying for a knight that it doesn't doesn't contribute anything from range and is such a linchpin like target for your opponent, such a, an amazing target of opportunity to pull apart that if it goes yeah, it, it I, I worry that it's gonna become a crutch in the long term for players. Um, whereas I think there's a great lesser demon build just waiting in the wings. Just take out all the graders. Maybe you have the bloodthirster if you want, and then just cram in as many bodies as you can. But we'll have to. We might try and write that in part two. Dean, what are your impressions of demons? How are they sitting in your mind? Um, so I've only really explored the corn specific builds because that's sort of the the theme of my channel. So Just I thought stick, you yeah. throw that in there. <laughs> um, but I have been, you know, paying pretty close attention to it. And obviously the mixed builds with the, the flames and stuff, we everybody knows all about that, so we don't need to really cover that. Um, I feel like one of their biggest challenges is that, like you said, they don't really have any, like, 50-point units that you can just happily sit on an objective backfield and just ignore. Mm. Everything has to be going forward and doing value, which is, is a challenge in of itself. I know that things like Marines have a similar challenge, but, like, even just the humble rhino is really good that it can just, you know, it can screen things out, it can tag things. You know, I feel like the demons, like, they kind of lack those tech pieces. Mm. So, yeah, that would be my biggest challenge with the, with the I, I agree with that, actually. For me, demons have the same problem that Botan now has, is that there's no room for screen, there's no room for throwaway chaff. Mm. So um, anything that can overcome a lack of screen is just going to really sort of hamper the army um and i'm hoping that perhaps they do something or they make some changes points wise somewhere to just give that flexibility uh defensive wise yeah i i totally agree i hope we see that coming um staying with you danny where do you see demons right now as an army competitively like the what we did with the s tiers and stuff for for csm i'd, I'd say right now in terms of potential i'd say mid a tier um i think they've got a lot of potential and like you say there's there's a lot of builds that people aren't exploring that are definitely can definitely play into different matters um and i don't think it's an easy straightforward army either um, target selection, target priority, um, knowing exactly where to pressure the board is a lot of the skill set in this army. It's not as simple as go forward and shoot. So I think that's sort of hampering people a bit as they understand where demons play into each matchup. But I definitely think there's potential, so I think it's mid-A tier for me. Yep, fair. I can't disagree with that. Dean, what about yourself? I'd probably say either lower A tier or upper B tier. Um and that's depends on on the it's 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 sort of like how I felt about the old CSM, where there was like one or two builds that were amazing, but the rest of the codex was hot garbage. You know, I kind of feel not quite as strongly, but similarly about the demons book, where it's like, yes, there is some A tier builds, but the faction as a whole, if you factor in all of the potential that it could have, it's hard to call the faction itself A tier. Yeah, so it I, really depends yeah. on how you determine your tiers. Whether you we just want to look at the best that that faction can do and rank the whole faction based off that. But yeah, that's sort of my thoughts. 
I have a bit of a I have some problems with with demons, and I think whatever if I I'd probably rank them as a minus B plus at the moment. So pretty pretty similar to what you boys you boys both said. My only issue with demons is I don't think no matter how good they get, due to all their mechanics requiring an arrive like you know a lot of their mechanics requiring an arrive from deep strike, it's just so easy for a small meta adjustment to push them out of the game again. Um, like I, I, I could <laughs> the fact that they the fact that a new codex came out. Um, and guard just dominates it. <laughs> the worst, like perceived to be the worst army in the game. Um, the 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 oldest codex in the game. It just absolutely dominates it. Uh, not and not only through the fact it's got the broadcast stratagem and banner of Loscadia, but the fact it's just got innumerable layered screens backed up by fire support. That's just all you would need to counter them should they become like a dominant build. It, I feel like it could, be, could could become quite frustrating down the line. Uh, for demon players, which, I'm ho- which well, it's is actually quite interesting that um, one of the things that you're saying makes guards so good into demons is the exact thing demons lack. You know, yes, exactly. The, right. the yeah. fact that these other a lot of other factions have those small units that they can just throw out as screens. They can throw out five rangers. They can throw out a unit of five battle systems. You know, and then that just all of a sudden your big two hundred point unit, you know, two hundred plus point unit has to just deal with a, a sixty point unit. Yeah. That's the problem with Chaos Demons, and it's yeah, exactly I, what's going to hold them yeah, back. Yeah, anything that can sort of play out uh, and deny this deep strike mechanic is obviously just going to ransack this army. Yeah. Uh, like for me, with my Gene Sealers, I throw in one 50-point character, and you can't deep strike within 12 inches. That's Dude, so powerful. Exactly. And we start seeing people bring, like, you know, I, all their incursors turn back in intercessors again, <laughs> you know? So in, uh, infiltrators again. And, you know, all of a sudden we've got two bottom-tier armies just putting a huge, like, chunks into the win percentage of demons but anyway that's why i really hope um and my hope is that in chapter approved uh we'll see a holistic um bring down in points especially for the nurgle stuff because the nurgle stuff's the only stuff on, and maybe some of them, maybe horrors things that could start on the table add value clearing screens or start on the table and survive on a mid-board objective that's the two things i feel like we need to see um if they don't you know over incentivize or give nurglings back obsec etc etc but moving on gentlemen Sorry, I was going to say absolutely. The only thing I'd like to see is a bit of a point shift. So more on flamers uh, and the exalted flamer and a little bit less on all the um, important offset like you mentioned. Exactly. Yeah, spot yeah. on. Um, all right. Transitioning over to T-Suns. Now, f- it's very hard to find a Chaos player. For people at home, neither of these gentlemen play T-Suns. My experience of T-Suns is playing against them a lot. I've played against T-Suns a lot lately. Uh, and so I can definitely share my thoughts there. And we have the lovely Liam Hackett on for quite some time ago, giving us our T-Suns retrospective, where we discussed a lot of future and optional choices for them coming down the line. But discussing T-Suns is an interesting proposition at the moment, because they seem quite stale in their builds, but they're still really potent. Like, they've got phenomenal secondaries, they've got a lot of the mortal wounds, which actually have a great place in the game at the moment, especially in some of the grindy mid-board matchups, you know, like Necrons, like Tyrannies, the, the mortals tend to shine. Um... What are your boys' impressions? We'll start with you, Danny. What are your impressions of T-Suns in the meta at the moment? So, I, I mean, for me, Thousands is, like you say, they're really stale. Um, and there's not there's not much change in builds. Even the new Armoury of Renown with, like, just throwing all the goats possible. No one plays it I, that, that I know of because it's it trash. doesn't really add any yeah. value. Exactly. It has no value. <laughs> it has no damage. It's just bodies. Saying that, though, I still think Thousand Suns is always still a, a bit of a solid army because it's quite a high-skill cap army. 
that provides a mortal wounds like you mentioned, but also a lot of um, board presence due to their mobility being able to teleport around. But what I think is, I think the Demons Codex releasing has actually added a little bit of lifeline to Thousand Sons. Yeah, boy. Um, because now, yeah, now they can build a really intense um, mortal wound build with the addition of either a chicken and some flamers or a couple of the smaller HQs like Changecasters, etc. Yep. I think. I think now we're going to start seeing, especially if none of them get touched in the data slate and some bigger bads like ne uh, Necrons, Tyranids, Harleys sort of come down a bit, I think we'll start seeing a bit of a resurgence of Thousand Suns. They won't ever be a high-tier army, but they, I think they'll start being able to fight back a little bit, bit more. Yeah, I can't see them being a high-tier army until they have a legitimate melee powerhouse unit. Like if, like if for whatever reason you just put Repenture in a T-Sun's army, my god, it would be a terrifying thing. Uh, but that's literally what they lack. They lack a thing, you know. It, it's pretty much asking Spawn to do what they should, what they should be as an, as an explosive melee unit, something like Possessed, um, in which they they kind of really struggle for. But in saying that, they do have a lot of play. They still they still get a lot of play. They still get a lot of up and middle results. Dean, what are your impressions? I'd agree. I think one of the challenges with the Thousand Suns is similar to what the Demons face in that they don't have good quality cheap sort of throwaway units a lot of their builds are around like a couple of big scarab cults or a bunch of rubrics um i actually think that the the addition of flamers sort of helps a bit because they've got you can run small units of those that you can drop into pockets and do damage whilst your big units focus on securing objectives and stuff so i think the demons additions of demons is really good for the thousand suns um but yeah holistically I don't think they're they're winning any tournaments anytime soon. Yeah, so I, I feel the same way. I, w I was actually hoping when Renegade Knights dropped that we would see that become a strong archetype, like three carnivores um, adding that speed punch, you know, pressure element to those. Because the thing that T Suns can't seem to be able to do is to put their opponent on a clock, scoring wise, be like, "I will win if you don't." and force the action on their terms. It seems like the T-Suns are forced into a reactive position because of their lack of speed, which is why we've seen, um, and, and there's a, a well-done T-Suns players, you all got the memo, uh, Cult of Time is dead, Duplicity is the only way to go, you're already as durable as anything else in the game, so try and get the speed in. Congratulations, you all did the right thing. Uh, but yeah, I was really hoping the Renegade Knights would add that bit of spice to them that they were lacking, but people seem incapable of taking less than 20 scarab occult terminators a lot of the time danny is the scarab occult just a massive crutch at this point that we kind of need to kick out from the legs of the t-suns players so they'll hopefully move on to something more interesting or is it just the way to go the best thing they've got the best thing they've ever got and they should stick with it i mean i <clears throat> over the i mean we've i've seen people test like massive uh rubrics um but like you say th there's a problem is that there's there's no melee prowess in any of the other units apart from scarabs and even their melee is still not solid it's what uh strength five ap three damage two three attacks is it's not amazing um so yeah unfortunately the codex is just built on sitting on these uh scarab terminators and i don't even with the demons because it being zinch and zinch have no melee demons mm -hmm. i don't really see their ability to um sort of um, bring something else in, and the problem with the the three knights is they're also quite expensive. Yeah, yeah, hundred so, percent. You're lo yeah. you're losing you know a quarter of your army to bring them in, and if they they don't work because they're usually going in unsupported. Like if you're sending them, you're sending them in as a missile because you're not intending them to, to to survive after they connect. You know they're not making it through a response turn from your opponent, so they're just little disruption bombs. And is that enough to really shake up a game? Dean, what are your thoughts on the terminators? 
Uh, my experience with them is that I hate versing them because every time I'm going into them, I'm either hitting them with something that's like two damage and they have that neg one damage strat or, you know, there's their neg one to hit. They can be, they can be quite painful to deal with, but I think it's one of those things where it's like, it's similar to the CSM terminators in that if your opponent can deal with them, then you have no chance of winning the game. But if your opponent can't do it, deal with them, then your opponent has no chance of winning the game. So. And I hate that type of list because it, it means that you're sort of just you're praying to the gods of pairings that you get favorable matchups throughout. Yeah. So they're probably a really good teams event style a teams list because you can sort of have a, a bit of a um, an influence on those pairings. But for going to a major or a GT and trying to to win with that faction, you really are just rolling the dice. Yeah, it seems like it's got a serious like four and one, three and two cap on it. It's just a, such a so rare to get a. A five and zero, you know, let alone a six and zero. Uh, in saying that, Danny at WTC, you and I were both there, and a lot of teams didn't go down the T Suns route. Why did you guys? Why did Team Poland choose not to take them? Um, we were we were actually thinking about using Thousand Suns uh, at first. However, honestly, there's yeah, it, it can be really good in teams. It just right then we just thought there's eight better armies that we could just take. Mm. Um. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's just it, the question is: is where does it fit in a team setting? Um, it doesn't score a lot of points, and ha- the, then the question is: how much can it deny? And there's not a lot of armies where it can just go in and start denying like eight points from like Tau or eight points from Harley's or yeah. or whatever that you need from the big hitters. And we just didn't really feel like it had any place because you're basically to win or do really well with the army, you've got to put a lot of effort in, um, and Still, even then, a lot can go wrong. And mm. this sort of, because of that, it's not a reliable um, army to use in any parents. So we opted to go away and not use it, to be honest. And yeah, speaking from what I know of the Team Australia, they had a pretty similar thing. I mean, Liam Hackett was playing T-Suns all the way up until Necrons got good, and he was putting up phenomenal results. And as you know, Liam's having pretty much a career year, as they would say in the biz. Uh, and... They were of the opinion that T-Suns, while a phenomenally strong army in the right hands, just didn't put up differentials. It, at, at, at very very few missions and pairings did they get to a place to stop their opponent's scoring. Like Because you can't... They're not an army that reaches out and gives you zeros on primary. Like Maybe one turn of the game if you're really proficient and you're set up well. But they're not an army that like gets that 50-point 50, 50 win, so they can't get a 20. So their greens start becoming 13- and 14-point wins rather than... 17, 18, 19 point wins. And at that point, exactly what you said Poland did. We just looked at and found found something that did something similar but got better differentials. And so T-Suns are kind, yeah. of, in this, kind like, of in this awkward place like that, aren't they? Yeah, like you said, um, yeah, if a good player, like really high skill player takes them, then they can do, do some, um, they can get some points. But the, the question is then why don't they take a better potential army where they can get even more points? Yeah, I mean... I mean there uh, were... I, I did see a couple of countries um, take them. Like Netherlands have a, had a really good Thousand Suns player, um, Florian, who did quite well in the performance. Uh, especially like some, they, they seem to do quite well versus Harley's that I noticed. But at the same time, you you can't really bet on that. Um, and so I think the 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 countries that took them are because they have diehard mm. uh, Thousand Suns players, Fact, not because it was yeah. a meta flip. The only ones I saw do really well at WTC were the ones that took Magnus. And I played against that list with my Grey Knights and got freaking dominated. The guy almost tabled me, and it was an 11-9 win to him. 
I, I ended the game with the remnants of four squads. Like I think I had a rhino, uh, a character, and some inter- interceptors, and it was an eleven nine his way, and he absolutely dominated me. He ended the game with two full units of terminators. Um, I just killed Magnus on the last turn, and he only he only beat me by less less than ten points. It was it's kind of rough. It, exactly. Yeah. It, exactly. So yeah. I mean, let's go in potential. It's just yeah, it's difficult. While they ha- it's weird as well because they do have. The, um, they do have decent secondaries, especially if the opponent can take well, like one Psyker for support. Wrath of Magnus is all right for what it, what it does, but I, I, so I don't fully understand, well, I don't fully know where it's going wrong. I just know something specifically is going wrong, and it, that needs to be looked at by Games Workshop. But uh, it, and it's a shame, but yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Is, I, um, I see them as, a, as a, just a, a solid B army, like right in the middle of B. Um, I, it's funny that we're, that we're kind of grading them again. I just did the faction ladder episode with Peter the Falcon last week, and people. And if we if we grade them and we're not the same as where Peter put them, who cares? Moving on. That was last week's. That's last week's knowledge, right? You know, get over it. <laughs> but I think they're a B army at the moment. Do you boys agree? Yeah, I, I'd say yeah, mid to low B. What about yourself, Dave? Yeah, I would definitely say mid to low B. Yeah, mid yep. to low B is definitely probably where it's at. Fair enough. On to Death Guard. Another another army that had some really solid WTC showings, but seems to have oh, I don't know, has it has a multitude of issues, like compounding upon each other. And once again, we talk about soup options for Death Guard. Nurgle doesn't bring anything to the table from the Demon Book. There is nothing there for them to leverage, which is a real shame because there's literally nothing. The Nurg- the Nurgle stuff from Demons adds zero percent increases to what i think the demon armies do maybe knights add a bit more but uh starting with dean what are your impressions of death guard in the meta at the moment uh, i think there's some interesting stuff I, I i'd start by disagreeing with the statement that um the nurgle demons bring nothing to the death guard i think adding a few nurglings in actually really opens up that faction because one of death guard's biggest weaknesses is that they're painfully slow they're super, super slow. So being able to use Nurglings to, A, push out bubbles to screen yourself to protect yourself from an Alpha Strike whilst simultaneously establishing a foothold, you know, in the midboard early from the game, I think actually does add a lot to the Death Guard lists. Um, that being said, I don't think it's enough to push them into any area of particular relevance, so... Dude, I actually love that you said that because as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, wow, okay. That does actually make a lot of sense. Danny, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I definitely agree about the nugglings. Um, I think, like, one of the problems is obviously things like Poxwalkers are very slow. So if you want to have, if you want to push out, say, you against demons, you want to push out these deep strikes, um, or you want to push out pregame moves or things like that just to sort of funnel your opponent into one direction, you can't really do that. Um, and that's what Nurgling sort of brings to the army. But the, in terms of the actual army itself, I think it, it has... I, every time a new codex releases, it sort of takes a little bit away of the essence of Death Guard. And, <laughs> Extrapolate on yeah, that. That's a very they, funny statement. So they are the, they are the army that is, um, that, that's meant to be hard to kill tanky. And every time a codex comes out, they become less and less tanky. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, um, yeah, they had minus one damage. And then we're starting to see a lot more armies with minus one damage, whether it's in the army itself, like uh, Drukhari can get minus one damage everywhere, or whether it's in certain data sheets, um, like Botan have got a new sort of Terminator with minus one damage. 
So every time that happens, it's taken a little bit of the essence of death guard. Then you've got things like um, not being able to be slowed. So armies are getting that as well. Um, Obsec on Terminators, well, Thousand Sons have that as well. So that, that's pointless. You can give Obsec on um, CSM. So every trick that sort of Death Guard has, every, little other armies are sort of stealing it. So you yeah. kind of, for me, I ask myself, what is the archetype of Death Guard? Where does it fit? And honestly, I feel like there's no identity to the army anymore. That is unique. I agree with that entirely. And I think that's just the, uh, the curse and the burden of being one of the first codexes uh, for an edition. You just get more and more watered down as th as things travel dean anything you got a retort for that or response i've got something interesting to add which i've noticed not massively but i think this is something that people could potentially start exploring uh is i've seen a lot of death guard players pivot to csm but still use plague bearers because plague bearers in an iron warriors army can um do Are some you, really funky stuff because you while mean plague they don't marines? Get the legion trait uh, sorry plague marines yeah yeah, yeah. sorry um, because they don't get the Legion trait because they're obviously the Plague Marines, but they do gain access to the stratagems because they have that Legion's keyword. So there's some interesting stuff that you can do in there that, um, you know, helps buff those units up. Mm. Similar to how people are taking the Rubric Marines from Thousand Suns and putting them in the CSM lists so that they get that extra two shots on their Flamers. Oh, yeah. you know, there's some yep. there's some interesting stuff that people are doing by taking these instead of going okay let, what can we use from CSM to make Death Guard good or what can we use from Demons to make Death Guard good they're actually doing the inverse of that and they're going okay what let's use one of the key units from Death Guard to make the CSM better or use the key unit from yeah. Thousand Suns to make the CSM better it's a very chaos specific thing isn't it because that, that that is something that chaos players have done throughout like. 20 years of iterations on their super faction so it is really cool to see it being done again uh as for as for death guard i feel like the codex and everything in that uh, in that army has just lived and died on how viable the plague burst crawler is if the pbc is good the faction is good the pbc is crap the faction is crap it's, it's just it's terrible to see a single unit be such a barometer but as soon as the uh the changes came into no line of sight shooting which was only there to nerf Tau, but for some reason they just kicked the crap out of Death Guard on the way through to those nerfs. Uh, you know, it really put a hole into the faction that I don't think they've ever recovered from, despite getting all the free upgrades on the uh, Plague Marines. And now you just feel like they're just kind of hamstrung into a hard skew build, which is where we come to WTC. Uh, did did Poland have any issues with the, the Plague Marine spam build that some, some, uh, some countries brought? Because uh, brought? I certainly had issues with when I played against them. Um, I think we played against it once, and I think it was a pretty comfortable win. Oh, was it twice? I can't remember. We definitely played against it once. Um, and, yeah, I believe it was a comfortable win from us. I think it was our Chaos Knights that went into them, so it's quite a good matchup for that. It was Pumba. Yeah, he would have done well. Uh, Duda, Duda played Duda. the Knights. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I I mean, to, for me, yeah, don't get me wrong. I think Plague Marine build is quite good in teams. I think it's way, it has way more potential in teams than it does in singles. Uh, just because if you get the right table and you get the right uh, matchup, then you can start denying quite a, a significant amount of points. Yeah, is I, that what you guys found? Yeah, that's pretty much what we found. And we found that there were... But we found the issue with them was even in a green matchup, if they go second, they're not as good. Like, it, the... The light, the light, the traffic light changes so much on that army, depending who goes first, goes second. Because they go second, mm -hmm. they get roadblocked, they get, you know, um, they get corralled, they get move blocked. They go first, they just get 
bunch of fights last in the middle of the table and the pressure is on and the clock is ticking. And then they, they, yeah. they feel like a really good list. And then you go, they go second, then they feel like a really stale, crappy Space Marine army that never gets to do anything. I, I absolutely agree. I think, for me, the fundamental problem with Death Guard, it, it, it's not necessarily their mobility or their lack of defensives, ironically. I think it's more the fact that they're a very macro army and they're very much about momentum. Once they can gain momentum, but once they start to lose it, they just cannot get it back. And a lot of armies can slow them down and punish them. And um, one, yeah, once they start losing resources quickly, there's, I don't think there's really any way for them to get back into the game unless their opponent uh, just makes mistakes. And I should, I should extrapolate on the, the barometer, the PBC barometer thing, because I think it might warrant some more explanation. So uh, if, you take, if the PBC for the Death Guard army is bad, they become a one-phase army. And they're a one-phase army, that being a melee army, that is slow. And therefore, they're a slow melee army. That is not good in the current edition of the game. If you're a melee army, you need to be fast. Otherwise, you are not top tier, cannot be top tier, cannot come close to being top tier. And so without fire support, without a legitimate shooting option or a legitimate ability to stay in your, com stay in your deployment zone and apply pressure to your opponent, because they can't do that right now, you need to go get your opponent and kill them in their deployment zone, and they just can't freaking do it like at a, in a timely fashion. And that's pretty much what I meant about the, the PBC being the barometer. So I think they are, unfortunately, in a, bo a bottom-tier faction. I, I know there are some really I, great players out there, but yeah. It, yeah, the, for me, yeah, it's exactly like Thousand Suns in the sense that people play them as diehard fans. However, I just don't think it has the potential that Thousand Suns does. Um, it's definitely a bottom-tier faction right now. We are seeing a couple of people, I, I think, in the last two weeks or so someone went five zero yes uh, yep. and that's really cool but it's not a consistent thing it's like the, a one-off um and they did phenomenally well to do that and um, it was very impressive but at the same time it's not something that can be consistently done um and it's a problem and for me death guard just have no identity right now of what they do i think they need a lot of buffs i find it weird that games workshop gave core buffs to necrons Yes. they are yeah, yeah. not wanting to give core buffs to Death Guard when they need it more than any faction right now, I'd mm -hmm. say. Dude, I t actually, that's a great point. We should, should have brought that up because, I mean, what, what oh, just off the top of your head, what would benefit immediately from the core buff? Things like what, fed, you know, blow drones, slush mowers, stuff like that? I would say, yeah, uh, the PBC for a start. Um, the lack of sort of, this is a problem with them. They've got, the shooting is really good, but when you've not got rerolls and like, for example, we play under BTC, which has got quite a lot of dents on some tables, it's hitting on fours all the time and it's not getting any rerolls to hit or anything like that. And if you if you give them that and then you give them March Contaminator, then they're they're definitely becoming a force to be reckoned with. But and right I, now they Yeah. yeah. And it's not like they have a I, huge amount of shots. They got like two Las Cannon shots and D6. And you just kind of pull in the lottery, pull in the poker machine, seeing what you get on the lottery of the of the the mortar on the back. In addition to two las cannons, not setting the world on fire. Give them the rerolls, like exactly, yeah. exactly. And then we'll start seeing a little bit more flexibility in lists, a little bit more freedom and creativity. And it's the same with drones. I think the drones should be, uh, or the blight holders. Just give all the demon engines core and see where that fits them because. Right now, they're, they're tanky-ish at T7 minus one damage and five of uh, invulnerable save, but they're not exactly, like you said, they're not setting the world alight, and they are really struggling with the minus one to be hit because they've no rerolls. Exactly right. And it's low volume, yeah, exactly, low volume, high damage, and they just need some efficiency. Agreed. Uh, Dean, would you reiterate, right, and reiterate that, and do you have anything else to add? Yeah, on I think you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head there. 
I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. So Beautiful. All right. I don't up really to, have much more to add on that one. Up to our last of the sub-factions here. We'll stick with you, Dean. I know this isn't something um, you have personally played, but I know you've done some theory crafting and played against them a plenty. Renegade Knights, my man. What are your impressions and how you feel about them at the moment? I was actually really excited for the Renegade Knights when they first came out, and I pretty much immediately started printing some. Um because they had that that abominant that's practically unkillable, right? You can do a whole bunch of stacked buffs on him. Uh, I'm actually quite shocked to see that the that sort of archetype hasn't made a pretty big splash in the in the scene. Uh, the, also, the obviously the, the war dog spam list, where it's just a ton of war dogs, is also another one that's really cool. But I think knights in general, uh, unless they have like a lot of overlaying buffs they can be kind of easy to pick apart and a lot of armies when they're when you're designing a list one of the things that you design build into your list is can i kill knights so everybody's sort of asking themselves that question at the start so they're already building into you whereas nobody's writing a list going well what do i do if i go up against this weird esoteric csm style build? they're not building <laughs> against that they're all building against knights horde and elite infantry, they're going, okay, these are the, sort of the three things, make sure you can deal with that. So I think they sort of suffer from the that to a degree, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, exactly right. And it's funny that you listed off those three things, because those three things change like addition to addition, meta to meta. But this tends to be like, you know, two or three things people always check off. You know, at the moment, you could easily say, I need to kill uh, medium bugs and necrons, as in like Scorpec Destroyers, Wraiths, and Tyranid Warriors, and cool, that's that's that one of those. Uh, MSU Elves, Harlequins, you know, Dark Elder, whatever, and Knights. And it's funny that Knights pretty much always makes that consideration, always makes that thing, like, can I kill a big knight a turn? Danny, what are your thoughts on Renegade Knights? So, for me, I I really like what they've done with the Knights. Um, that customization, it, it just adds a really nice, cool flavor to the, to the army, and I think they're really good, and I think they're in quite a good spot. The problem with knights is they hit a brick wall, and that brick wall is called hammerheads. Yeah. And <laughs> oh man, ha- ha- hammerheads are a massive problem, um, and they're just really keeping down um, knights, especially when you've got um, crisis on the back, and then you've got yeah. some chuck bombers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the problem is is CK are very much um, a full one army, and then you either got to you either go against Harleys, and you've got maybe I don't know like a forty sixty. 40 to 60 chance to mm. beat Harleys or you get crushed because there's a, a Tau player just waiting for you yeah. at your table. And it, this is a big problem. It really shows how little they did to incentivize big knights when you look at the like look at the Renegade Knight build, even more than the, the Imperial Knight build, because the Renegade Knights don't exactly have all the bondsman buffs and all the crazy combo building opportunities that you can sling out every turn like the, the Imperials do. And so... I mean, you had to. They literally had to have a knight. They had to write in this knight is unkillable, underline it twice with exclamation points to make people want to take a big knight at all in most of their builds. And this was even very early on in the codex. Um, I would love to see something come along and incentivize big knights a bit more because the first option is, of course, two little knights is sometimes depending on your build, more wounds, way more damage output, actually more survivable, and doesn't get absolutely ruined by terrain. Like we looked at, uh, you probably did the same uh, working with Team Poland. We looked at so many of the uh, terrain layouts, and there were so many builds and missions that we were just like, knights can't win on that 
that table or that table, that mission and that table, that's a red, no matter who I play, stuff like that. Did you guys come to the same conclusions? Yeah, yeah, funny enough, actually. We had like a bit of a training comp um, and uh, quite a few of us were testing knights. And the first iterations were definitely with the, uh, I think it was the Rampager, the Unkillable yep. Rampager. But then the more and more matchups we got to, the more different like table layouts we'll, we, we tried. We are like, no, it doesn't work. It's, it gets body blocked in. Um, it, it does actually die. And little knights, the fact that they can hide and five man offset, um, 12 little knights is just really a really good value. But it's a real Yeah, no, no, I t- totally, totally agree. I'd love to see something come along to incentivize a lot more of the, the big knights in the Renegade builds to just give you a reason to take them. Because right now, I mean, a Carnivore and a War Dog, whichever one picks your fancy, just does so much more so, for so much longer in the game. Dean, is that your impression as well? The big knights just don't do anything? Yeah, they, they, they're a lot easier to block. They're a lot easier to mitigate. And like you said, a single hammerhead just ruins your day. So yeah, I'd agree with all that. What do you think they need, mate, from your point of view? If anything, or do you think they're exactly what they well, should be? Well, there's potentially some interesting stuff with mixing in some demons. Yep. Um, because that does give you, you know, some more, like, ability to throw forward screens of infantry, which allows you to mitigate, you know, the terrain challenges and those sorts of things. So maybe there's something there. I have To be honest, I haven't looked into it enough to, to confidently say. No, totally fair enough. What about yourself, uh, Danny? You think demons... Uh, you know, uh, the silver bullet to get Renegade Knights to the next level? I Actually, you're absolutely right. Um, so a lot of our Knight players will have demons in there. Um, it was a lot easier when you could summon, mm. but now, because you could pick what you want to take, but now we're finding that all of our um, Chaos Knight builds do have demons in there, mostly because, not because of screens, but mostly because of uh, secondaries. So I think a lot of the times that is where Chaos Knights is falling down, is you can't raise banners with them, um, you can't really do psychic actions unless you try and make, build a character. So they've got quite a lot of limitations on the secondaries. So that is where demons is a cheap way of providing that. We find. Do you think? Uh, I see because I, despite their their challenges, I think still think Renegade Knights is a very good, very strong faction. And I've yet to yet to find somebody who's bored, who like uh, someone who mains Renegade Knights who's bored of it. They just seem incredibly fun all of the time, even when you're getting tabled. Do you guys find that as well? Dean, we'll start with you. Well, playing knights is always fun, right? Because they're big, stompy monsters, and they do things, and they, everything feels so epic in that army. Like, <laughs> it's, it's hard to not have fun whilst playing that. Yep. Um, and yeah, I think add, adding in some demons, like some Slanesh demons, because the, the demonettes are really fast. They can run through walls. So they, they can jump out, raise banners early. I think adding that in will make it a lot more fun. And I think just... The, the variability with all of the different abilities and the, the dread blades and all that sort of stuff probably just keeps it fresh for them. Mm. And fair enough. I And I've said this a couple for a couple of the other factions. I'm surprised that I don't see more Renegade Knights making it into other builds. Like triple, I, ca- I have no idea what you what they call the Helverins or the ones with the, the miniguns. The Ward Dog Auto Cannons and the War Dog Chain Cannons. That's what I'm going to call them. But I'm surprised I'm not seeing more of those, especially making it into Death Guard builds. I feel like the Auto Cannon Knights are exactly what the Death Guard kind of lacks at the moment. Um, and yet we haven't seen them. But um, beside, that, that, that's, that's uh, kind of on the other side of the road right now. I think I think Renegade Knights are a, a minus B plus tier as well. I think they sit around about the same as Demons, um, probably above T Suns and Death Guard. What about you boys? Yeah, I think you're so, right there. So above, above Demons, above Death Guards and Thousand Suns for sure. Um, yeah, I definitely think that. I definitely think that a tier. Um, they're definitely a four one army. They've got all the tools they need to go four one. Um, but like 
for me, it's the same situation as Chaos Space Marines that if you go against uh, its counters are very prevalent in the meta right now. It's not like they've got some obscure counter where they might never meet. Yep. The counters are top of the table, so they can go 4-0 easy, and then they can get to the last game, and actually it just completely shuts down their run. Mm. So I'm hoping that perhaps a, all it takes is a data slight change to say like, Tau or perhaps Tyranids or maybe even Necrons, for example, and yep. then it might actually improve their viability without actually making any changes to that army. Yeah, we call that the backhand nerf, as in the stuff that ruins you got nerfed. You didn't get buffed, but the stuff that was you know causing you to have a rougher road went down in power. Which actually, you're, you're exactly right because it is it's Tau and Tyranids that are really putting the the hard losses on the Renegade Knights, their inability to grind into Tyranids and win, and their inability to, to like have anything for Tau. Like, literally, it's just long strike and one hammerhead just tabling you over five turns. I suppose that would be the most unfun possibility. Oh, yeah, and while or like you know, four, a unit of four Crute Hounds stops your whole army leaving your deployment zone. That kind of crap. Exactly, that is the big problem, is just mm. Crute Hounds has come in blocking all movement, whilst you've got, yeah, you've got long strike, you've got your hammerheads, even Sunshine Bombers. It's just, yeah, they need, something needs to change in that army for yeah. a lot of armies. It's, it's and, a gatekeeper for a lot. Yeah, exactly right. And I think... Um, while it has got the explosive melee elements that I think a lot of successful armies need in the current game, exactly, exactly what Dean said, like the game is very melee oriented at the moment. The fact is their play patterns are virtually the same. Like they're virtually all the same. Renegade Knights don't have the ability that, that Imperial Knights do to stay static in on their side of the table and put up a winning score. They need to close the gap, get kills, and apply pressure. And in fact, if you don't get within dread range, you know, why do you why do those rule exists? You know, you can't really sit still and have any influence on the game. And so I think that's one of the biggest issues with Renegade Knights. People really know how they're gonna come at you. Which is why I want some of the bigger knights to get viable. Like, you know, who knows, maybe a freaking tyrant, which is the Castellan equivalent, pops off, pops up and all of a sudden they can sit still for a couple of turns and not have to run out into the jaws of whatever's waiting for them. But gentlemen, that brings us to the end of the super faction rundown, the medical of all of it. I'm I'm of the opinion Chaos is in a very good place overall. I think they've got one extreme powerhouse faction that has essentially like eight powerhouse house sub factions inside of it. Chaos is still being iterated upon, very powerful, a lot of builds. Renegade Knights as well, T Signs and Death Guard languishing a little bit. Dean, give us your last takes on the overall prognostications, the overall physical of this super faction. Uh, yeah, I think. Above all superfactions, Chaos has the best ability to soup, which means you have the best ability to come up with unique builds that people won't be planning for. And I think that's their biggest strength is that you can go, cool, I'm going to take, you know, it might be Renegade Knights with a contingent of demons. People haven't, they're planning for knights. They're not planning for knights plus infantry, you know, or you might bring, you know, a CSM with some, you know, a uh, thousand suns added into it. People aren't planning for that. They're planning for the Terminator-style CSM. So I think there's lots, so many different options that people will continue to come up with new top-of-the-meta lists and keep shaking up that sort of expectation and leverage that to their advantage. Dude, amazingly said. And I think that's a great reason for, if you are playing one of the languishing sub-factions, to, you know, pull out the playbook Crack open some new stuff and just see what happens. If you're not doing well at the moment, don't you know do what Einstein says and just keep you know bashing your head against that. You know don't don't be in the madness of expecting a different result. Go and try some crazy stuff and see what occurs. Um, Danny, your last hot takes, mate. I for me, I think it's the sub faction overall is not as good as Xenos, but I think it's better than Imperium. I think it's the most stable faction. Like a lot of the fact, a lot of the armies are sort of sat between B, B and A tier, um, apart from maybe Death Guard. And 
So I think it's a really stable sub faction, uh, super faction. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and like, li- li- oh, sorry. <laughs> um, like Dean said, they they play really well when when you get bored, you can just soup in and you can just interchange a lot of different things. And I think it keeps it fresh and exciting. Whereas uh, like Xenos, for example, doesn't really have that. Um, and Imperium has it, but it, they have it with just Knights. It doesn't really work with everything else uh, like like Chaos does. And I think that's really fundamental to the whole super faction. Amazingly said, boys. And one of the reasons we were doing this episode is because for all intents and purposes, until I mean, there's only one possible other codex that can be added to this super faction. This super faction, to all intents and purposes, is done for this edition, with the exception of World Eaters. And it, to my mind, if if you would extrapolate what World Eaters have done and will do forever, they're another fast, aggressive melee army. So the only crazy thing that I think they're going to shake up CSM-wise, I mean, because if you want to think about it, like Empress Children, Wordbearers, Creations of Bile, can, are all going to be like another flavor of what, Word, what World Eaters are probably going to do something similar. Maybe more Rhino-centric, hopefully. But apart from that, the only other thing they might add is another freaking Primarch to this equation, which might shake up everything, might shake up nothing. We'll have to wait and see. Hopefully, uh, on-release, Angron is a little better than Magnus and Mortarian feel in the, in the meta at the moment. But... In saying that, that's going to wrap up this episode. It's time for the plugs, boys, because I forgot to do it at the start. Dean, tell us about all the amazing things you do, where people can tune in, and what is it? So this is going to come out on Tuesday morning. What's your next piece of content going to be? So this is coming out Tuesday morning. I've got a few more general tactics and strategy videos for the CSM. Basically, over on my channel, just put blog for the blood god, B-L-O-G, blog into youtube or or google and you'll get my content i do a video at least every second day talking everything csm primarily where i'm doing a breakdown of every legion i go through great detail unit strategies on a a unit level as well as on a broader sub-faction level for the legions lots and lots and lots and lots of content there as well as general tournament reviews talking about you know everything 40k so yeah check me out there he's also got a patreon check that out on patreon i'm yeah, one of I've his got a, I, I got a patreon we got a discord i am one of his patreons so plenty of fun stuff so there. jump in if, if it's cool enough for adam it's cool enough for you you all know that to be true <laughs> <laughs> all right daddy plug your things mate tell us about contact lost uh yeah so i don't have a podcast myself but i'm on uh i, I get featured on uh, contact lost quite often uh, especially if we're talking about different codexes um and yeah i generally they are a really good uh and growing youtube channel they do a lot of content they recently covered the lgt mm-hmm. um and they recovered as well the wtc and they're going to start covering a lot more uh, team events and a lot more big events um and they're a really good bunch of guys they really know their stuff um and yeah i would definitely uh, follow them if that's what you're into also uh Team Poland as well. We're starting a podcast sort of series in English rather than just Polish. And we are going to cover a lot more about how to play um, team events rather than singles because team events is our niche. So if you're interested in learning more about team events or if you want to dive into that, then that's a really good podcast or YouTube channel to follow as we're going to start releasing content over the next few months. And I will say Polish uh, team content is... Possibly the best team content in the world. Like they are the most successful nation on the planet at the highest level of the game. So if you want to get any, if you want to get the the, the no to about how to, about team play, 
go check them out. And Tweak and Joker from Contact Lost, what absolute gentlemen, what absolute legend of the community. Please support them and all that they do. They are some of my closest friends out there, other content creators, and I'm here for them in uh, any way, shape, and form. So you should be too. Thank you so much again, guys, for coming on. Coming to part two, we're going to start designing and talking about some spicy off-meta archetypes for each one of these uh, factions. You know, I know D- Dean is an expert on the on CSM, and especially the more obscure, the better. I don't know if I said that correctly, but that's pretty. That's how he would too. Uh, and Danny is going to help us extrapolate some spicy demon builds. And except, except, sorry, in addition to the rest of the wonderful sub factions in this super faction. So thank you very much, guys. Stay with us. See you on part two. Thanks again, Dean. Thanks again, Danny. And we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under. A content review podcast for Warhammer 40k. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under. Signing out from tomorrow. Tomorrow.